my name is Derek Leonard. I uh, was born on July 11th, 1958, so I was just about 14 at the time of the... Um, I was uh, really excited for the summer of 72. I'd been uh, as a Boy Scout and uh, had been a... Uh, striving to get my Eagle Scout and had gotten a job up at Camp Old Broadax up just past Nemo. Okay. And uh, I was going to be washing dishes for one of my uh, my friends, Mrs. Miller. She ran the kitchen. She was from Sturgis. She ran the kitchen for the Boy Scouts. And, okay. You know, any anybody that had anything to do with food, I made sure became friends of mine. So I was really excited to work for her that that summer, and my main goal was I figured out I could get my life-saving merit badge, and I, I was not much of a swimmer, and that was the merit badge. I, th- I don't even think I had the swimming merit badge. So those were the pair of merit badges that I needed to secure my ability to become an Eagle Scout, and so I thought this is a great way to do it. I'll work Campbell Broadax and by the end of the summer, I'll have my merit badges, one way or another, right? Sure. <laughs> Either I can actually qualify or, you know, I'll uh, have friends that will pass me on it. <laughs> I even think then maybe I had ulterior motives. So um, the weekend before, it didn't open till the next week. And so June 9th, um, uh, of course, was a Friday. And um, the Order of the Arrow, which is a... a a, a group within the Boy Scouts in which they recognize, you know, scouts. And it's uh, involved with a really cool ceremony. Uh, back then it was very cool. And uh, I was actually just talking to Dave Super about it. You'd have a tap-out ceremony in which uh, boys would be selected to become members of the Order of the Arrow. And there was an initiation process. Essentially, the initiation process was uh, after you were tapped out, um, you were given like an egg and a match and led blindfolded into the woods. Um, you had to be silent for the entire 24 hours, so for the next day. And you'd be led out into the woods and then you had to survive on the match and the egg and, and your bedroll. I don't, I didn't even have a bedroll, I don't think. So um, I was uh, part of the. I was already in the Order of the Arrow, and I was up at camp already um, in the afternoon on Friday. And they realized that they didn't have this big rope that we would all hold on to as we were led into the woods, and, you know, somebody would lead you in. So uh, uh, we were dispatched back to Rapid City because um, Cecil... Cecil... uh, starts with a C. Geez, I just looked up his name. Um, he had the rope, and uh, I didn't realize that he was 70 years old, but 74 years old, but uh, he, uh, he had the rope, and he lived uh, down at the intersection of uh, West Boulevard and Omaha, where Central High School is basically now. Okay. There was a lot of Quonset huts down there. It was not a very attractive portion of Rapid City because these Quonset huts were World War II Quonsets. And mm. so, um, you know, that was where I was raised in, in West Rapid. And that was kind of where North Rapid met. met. If, you, if you understand what I'm saying sure. is that, you know, that's where you could you could see that there was different uh, classes of people that lived at different income levels. And uh, Corey was a great, or a, excuse me, Cecil was a great guy. And he was a scoutmaster for a 
a, a small troop of kids that were North Rapid kids. And so he's kind of like herding cats, you know, to get them to come up to uh, this Order of the Arrow ceremony and spend a weekend up at Camp Broadax. And so I, uh, I don't know how it ended up, but a guy named Steve Quayle uh, ha- and I um, said or volunteered to come back to Rapid City to get the rope that, that Cecil had. So Steve reluctantly or maybe joyfully agreed to drive his dad's uh, white over orange Bronco back into Rapid. Of course, his dad didn't want him to leave camp. I, you know, I think he'd come out Van Ocker Canyon because he lived in Sturgis. And so now we're driving back down Nemo Road. Um, we got down to the uh, Cecil's house, and there were some kids arriving on their Stingray bikes. And Cecil gave us the rope, and we started driving back. And I, I remember we stopped at, uh, or on our way, we're driving on Deadwood Avenue, which was pretty new back then, I think. And there used to be a pasture of horses out towards the cement plant there on the on the uh, side of the road. Um, I guess the northwest, right? Um, and I remember the horses. There was these storm clouds, and it was about getting to be about supper time, and the storm clouds were uh, were kind of building, and and uh, the horses in the field were running back and forth just running you know just and we were like what what's going on and we stopped we pulled into west main and went to taco john's and got a bunch of got a bunch of bean burritos and some tacos and remember we had a little stash of burritos for some reason um and i remember the horses and we started driving out nemo road and the rain started we got into the rain and um it was early evening by this time and still daylight and uh the rain just became like torrential, and as we're driving up the road, Box Elder Creek was getting higher and higher, and I remember seeing like a fencing coming down, coming down the creek, just being washed down the creek. And I remember this power line telephone pole was kind of just out of it was hanging by the other supporting poles, and it didn't it wasn't in the ground anymore. Wow. So just remember there's a lot of water so steve uh pulled over because we're like what what are we seeing here what are we watching so he he pulled over and we watched it and he goes you know i think somebody's stock dam must have burst i go stock dam you know what do you mean he goes oh you know an earthen earthen berm that retains some water and he goes i just i've just never seen this much water come down a creek like this and so we driving up Nemo Road, I think there's about seven places where Box Elder Creek, there's seven bridges as you're coming up Nemo Road, something like that. And, and I remember as you're going up and down, we cross this bridge and the water's coming up. And, you know, he's a little nervous because he's got his dad's Bronco and we're not quite, we're not back to Nemo yet. And, and uh, then we cross the road and there was a little water on the road, like three or four inches at this bridge, he's like, oh, shit, you know, we, we got to get going. So then we get up and we got up. I think there was about two bridges we crossed where there was water on the road, and he was getting a little nervous about that. And we got up to right where uh, there's a campground, Oxyoke Campground up there. Uh, and we got up right in front of the Oxyoke, and that's where there was another bridge. It's raining pretty hard by now, but it's still not really dark. And the, we saw car that had floated and was off to the side and then we saw this car 
go right in, like, because the bridge was gone. We didn't know. So the this car goes uh, driving along the road, like, right in front of us, and it just nosedives into the into the creek, which is now, you know, just wild, abandoned. And, and we're like, shit, you know, look. And, and, and the door, the passenger door opened, and this a body, a person, you know, floated out, floated out, you know, and we're like, holy, you know, it's just crazy to see this happen. Like, and of course, his biggest concern was, let's get the, you know, shit, my dad's going to kill me, you know. So we turn around, and we crossed over another bridge, and the water was getting higher, and we got, like, to that second one, and that water was way up over the road. And so he was nervous. He goes, I'm not going across that. Let's go back to Oxyoke because there were some people there. And we turned to get back to Oxyoke, and there was a the, the bridge that we had crossed in between had now come up. So we were the last ones on that section of road. And I remember there was a farmhouse off to the side of the road, and we looked down, and it was right on the creek. And they had like a corral. I think they had sheep, if I remember correctly. And um, and now it's getting dark, and uh, the lightning is flashing, and it just it lightens everything up, you know. And it's coming about every oh, it, it, very frequently. Seemed like 10 seconds. I don't know. This is all just bad memory, old guy. So um, we found the highest spot, and it was across from this from this farmhouse. But the farmhouse was across the creek. And I was thinking, well, we got the rope. We should save these people. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. we're Boy Scouts, so we got the rope. We should throw it across the creek. And he's like, we can't do, we can't do that. And, uh, you know, and... and uh, so it was just very strange, you know. Um, I, I think I said a lot of prayers and pr- made a lot of promises that I, I'm, I'm sure I never kept. But, you know, we were scared, like, for our lives. And I remember where the lightning would flash and I'd see this rain just running off the bank next to me because I was in the passenger seat and, and he was on the side with the farmhouse. And it'd flash again and we'd see... As I recall, I think the it was a little barn. I think it floated away, but it didn't get to the main house. The main house was just a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. I know the corral washed away. And, uh, you know, we were just trapped. And so, you know, just, you know, bundle up in the seat and try to, you know, just make it through the night. I mean, we were dry, and, and uh, I mean, I think he ran the furnace a little bit but I remember we had those bean burritos that we picked up at at, Ta- at Taco John's and so we had we had sustenance and, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you know the next morning uh, you know when the sunlight came up we started the car and and drove uh, down to that crossing to try to get back towards Rapid City and I remember he turned on the radio. This is a certainly faulty memory, but the way I remember it, it was like 7 o'clock a.m. or something. He turned on, it was sharp, top of the hour. I, I remember it as, you know, this is John Cameron Swayze in New York City. Rapid City, South Dakota. Devastating flood. Seven people reported dead. And, uh, you know, devastation. And, and I... Remember, I I got out of the, 
I got out of the Bronco and I was like screaming and like I ran up the road and I remember my biggest emotion was I couldn't believe that I hadn't been thinking of other people, that I'd been so self-centered that I was like praying for myself. And when I'd heard there was, you know, seven people that had died and, you know, a guy from New York City's telling me that seven people died in my town during this event that I sort of felt we had an early notice. We had early notice. We thought it was a burst stock dam, right? Anyway, uh, um, and uh, they gathered us up, I think, when, I don't remember exactly how we reunited with the scouts, but we went back, I think we went back towards the camp, and uh, I remember we were evacuated in a, in a bus, in a school bus. I can't remember how we got there. Um, but yeah, I remember I'd heard on the news that everybody at the scout camp was uh, accounted for. I remember thinking, well, <laughs> really? <laughs> they don't remember that Steve and I left, you know. So everybody's safe and accounted for. But they got us on a school bus, and when we came in, so we must have come maybe maybe Van Acker Canyon, because I remember we came in off the interstate, and we came down, you know, that West Boulevard exit, and I remember looking over where we had been, you know, 12 hours before or so, and I guess 15 hours before, and seeing... There was no Quonset huts. I mean, a, a mix, all the other devastation. And, you know, in fact, Cecil and his wife had perished. I imagine some of those kids that he was gathering up. And that just really hit me, you know. There was all the physical stuff that you could see, all the destruction and damage. But I just remember being just, like, um, really taken by that. Um, subsequently... You know, because I was a West Sider, ended up in, uh, you know, being in school and high school with uh, people that had their lives much more impacted. Um, much like my dad from World War II, I never really talked about it. And, you know, even today, this week, as I look back on other stories and other people's stories and realize that, you know, there was a lot of people that I knew in Rapid City. I mean, I lived here most of my life, at least till I went to college, and I came back and lived here. There was a lot of people that I knew in Rapid City whose lives had been impacted that I never realized that, you know, lost spouses, uh, lost family members. Um, you know, I even, even my friends that I was close to, you know, they had their stories, but it was categorized, um, you know. Uh, as just another day in some way, you know, I guess the typical suppression, you know, and pretty traumatic memories I think some of my friends had that I can tell, like if you, like this morning I had I had breakfast with a, a couple of friends of mine who subsequently went golfing to golf at Meadowbrook where their homes used to be as a sort of a commemoration of of whatever and and uh i could tell like um they had those kids had lost their homes and you know we were pointing out foundations and things and they said uh and then they talked about an event that occurred when they lived in the trailer and i could tell like that was a he didn't want to talk about the trailer 
you know, that they lived in after the flood before they got to their house. So just interesting to have been through it in an, an odd tangential way, but then have lived with people who, you know, before post-traumatic stress disorder was a thing, people who coped with it and categorized it in such a way that I was, you know, blissfully ignorant of the impact that it that it had on a lot of people that I knew in Rapid City.